On this episode, we are going back into the world of Sarah J. Moss with a deep dive into A Court of Wings and Ruin. The gang is back together and the battle of the ages is brewing. There will be spoilers, so if you haven't read this novel yet, we'd hop on your nearest Illyrian warrior and fly to another episode. Just make sure to watch out for any rogue cauldron activity on the way. Welcome back to Page Rage. Welcome back, everyone. As normal, um, uh, we are having technical difficulties. We are going into this this episode blind. Thank you, Squadcast. <laughs> yes. I feel like if we had a dollar for every time Squadcast has let us down, we would be able to do this as like a permanent job because it's just... <laughs> <laughs> or at least pay for our, our uh, Squadcast subscription with it. Yeah. So, Where is your office located? Where is it in New York City? Can I descend and make some shit happen? Because this is crazy. One of them is in Delaware. The headquarters is in Oakland, California. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm not going there either. <laughs> so, well, I'll be out there in February. Nowhere near Oakland, but I might have to make a pit stop. Well, we are diving in this week into A Court of Wings and Ruin. Fun fact, this whole time, I thought this book was called A Court of Wings and Fury. So I combined the last two books together. It's easy to do. I think I do. I, I It took me probably 15 times to remember what this book was actually called. So I'm right there with you. It's too many. It's a court of something and something. So yeah, yeah something's happening. I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what the next book would be called because it's uh, Elaine's. I was like, A Court of Useless Gardening. That's what I yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's basically it. But we'll get into Elaine later. Circling back, A Court of Wings and Ruin dropped May of 2017 and concludes Farah as our main. Thank God. I'm really over her. But Farah is back in the Supreme Court as a double agent because there's a lot of going around in this book. After retrieving the info she needs and dismantling the whole court along the way, she winnows back to her mate and the night court to start preparations for the final war against the King of Highburn. In true Sarah J. Moss fashion, we get amazing battle scenes, some spice, and some epic new characters. This book goes out in a blaze of glory, literally. Ash, was this a rage or rave? Ah, I just got an app is not focused alert, and I'm like, well, fucking focus! I mean, mine's been staying that Mm. for this whole time. Yeah, like Our videos aren't even on. What do you guys want from us? Okay, well, aside from Squadcast being an actual rage, um, this book for me is a rave. I do like this book and I think I appreciate this book more this reread than I probably did when I first read it. I read this first in the Moss universe and then I went to Throne of Glass and then obviously Crescent City. But reading this, knowing I'm going to have to dive back into Crescent City, I think you see a lot more about the setup for that book and that series and that world that we're about to go into. So I, I'm starting to see the geniusness uh, of Moss once again after this reread. But what about you? It's definitely a rave. I mean, I think I gave it a four when I first read it, and I would still say it's a solid four. Um, like you said, you know, once you go through and in like true fantasy fashions, when battles are happening, you're reading so fast because you're trying to like you're in the battle. You miss so many things. So doing a reread and catching all the little tidbits that she put in, like you said, was 
amazing. And considering I've been deep diving down the rabbit hole into theories, and it honestly makes me realize why people notate books so much. I don't like doing that because I don't want to write in my books, but I can see why people do that. Moss knew what she was doing when she, she built this world out. So kudos to you, Moss. Not that you care. I mean, <laughs> you're making a ton of money. <laughs> so looking at all of the A Court of Books, which book did you like better between Akatar, Akamov, and Akawar? I think I like Akawar better because we got everybody in this one pretty much and you know I love me a ton of side characters so once the side characters started like funneling in and you got to actually see their personalities minus Elaine um <laughs> <laughs> always minus she Elaine. doesn't have one to subtract <laughs> so I loved seeing all the high lords pop in I love the descriptions of all of them my baby daddy Helian and my other baby daddy Lucian had like their little moment so excited. I love the weaver and the bone carver got to let loose a little bit of we'll talk more about that later. I'm a little upset about that. I think she did a great job with this one. And I don't think I could have read another book on Farah after this. So remember in Throne of Glass when I was like the first two books I was like, Ash, if this is going to keep going, I can't <laughs> I can't do this. And then you're like, give it one more book. And then of course, she brought in the 13. And I was hooked yet again. Mm -hmm. I think she has found her, her she knows when to stop with yes. a certain character mm -hmm. yes she knows when we're tired i was over reese and farah i get it they're amazing i know that this is like her love letter to reese i was over reese by the end of it and more on that later but what about you <laughs> <laughs> sounds like we're on a, a new show and more on that at the bottom of the hour <laughs> Um, the Battle of the Akos. Uh, so I think this one, like I said, after the reread is probably my favorite as well. A lot of the gripes I had about Iron Flame were shown in this book. There was an actual strategy. There was actual political mm -hmm. intrigue. There was all of this beautiful building into these epic battles, which I appreciated because let's be real, ladies and gentlemen, war doesn't just happen out of nowhere. Uh, as a side note, watching Madam Secretary, I'm like three seasons in. So I'm very into oh. political espionage and strategy right now. So um, Aquawar is definitely probably one of my favorite in the three. Akatar obviously introed us to the world and once we hit under the mountain that's when I was like this series is something to pay attention to Akamov I think is a little emo for me whatever so at least Akawar we're a little bit more established and we can actually get some shit done which I appreciate here's my question okay so coming from the characters just in book two not the new ones that we just met did you feel any differently about those in this book than you did the last book I'm Assuming like more so Farah, Reese, Tam Tam, Nessa, not Elaine. Nessa had a little <laughs> bit more conversation going, even though she's still a giant bitch in this one, which is fine. That's just who she is and I respect it. But did you feel like, and Lucian, did you feel like you're feelings changed on any of them in this book i think my my feelings and it's it's different because i think this would have been a different answer if we had done this after we first read this series than now i feel like i was a little bit almost like what you said earlier i was able to kind of have some distance between myself and some of the characters i wasn't as involved because i know what happens i think i have a lot more questions about nesta because remembering silver flames and i do remember none of us really wanted silver flames at this point because we thought she was such a bitch in this book. But after reading Silver Flames and then rereading this book, she's like middling bitch in this book. It's not even really that serious. And Agreed. she's actually 
much better towards the end. So I'm excited for we reread Silver Flames because I don't know how we got from zero to the 10,000 that's in that book of her just being an absolute mess. Like I'm confused on how we got there. So Elaine, I didn't find her as annoying in this because I already know what her role is here. And she is literally the pretty princess in the corner that everybody dotes on and is not going to contribute really anything other than she does have some visions that are, you know, useful-ish. I agree. Towards the end, obviously, that moment between her and Cass, I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. not that we like went 180, but we were making progress Mm -hmm. here. And then somehow I remember when we were in Silver Flames, I was like, you're like a straight up asshole again. How did we get here? (laughs) Like, I'm not sure. And even Elaine, like when Farah nudged her at the end to like speak to Lucian, I was like, and then you went completely lacking all kinds of personality. The only thing that kind of really drives me nuts about the characters in this one, Moss does do this, but she she just does it in this world and I'm not exactly sure why. And I guess this is like my own personal rage on um, main characters. I don't like when the author makes them almost completely untouchable like Farah is the most powerful and Reese is the most powerful I want some kind of balance if you remember I think my favorite thing about Manon in the 13 is not for nothing they couldn't do magic literally the whole time they were just fucking badass bitches Mm -hmm. they trained they worked their ass off they did all those things and they didn't have like all these mystical powers because they didn't have magic. Farah and Nesta and Reese, I'm like, y'all got all the powers. Every power. I don't think my opinion really shifted until Silver Flames when I ended up getting hated Farah and Reese. And so I like could not stand them in Silver Flames. I mean, same there. And I think that's that also might be why I had some distance reading them here. I remember how over them both we were. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, though, what did you think about Farah's character development in this novel versus the other Akos? Because <laughs> we're calling them the Akos now. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's Akka, excuse me? No, sorry. I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I will say I like how she ended in this one. She came in hot in the beginning. Obviously, she hated Tamlin. Fair enough. She wanted to ruin his life. I get it. She needed him at the end. And obviously, this began his redemption arc of a person. I think she was starting to get her humanity back towards the end of it. And I feel like at some point, she was kind of losing that along the way, being super powerful. So I liked her at the end of this and I was like all right I'm done I do not want to read any more Farah. like there's there's nothing else you can give me that I care about her character anymore what about you I don't know if I saw as much character development with Farah in this one to be completely honest I think the main drag of it was her obviously accepting her high ladiness and what that was going to mean for her but I would say for 75 percent of the book she was just kind of flat I think we did see more growth towards the end. And I would have to agree. I think we saw some of her human side coming back um, in some of her interactions with like the surreal and just the way she was interacting with some of these quote unquote monsters. And I, I, I definitely think we saw more growth towards the end. I think she was a little flat, honestly, in most of it. I did like her little training montages, like the few that there were. Yeah, I was just kind of over her at this point and I would have to agree I wasn't really sure where else you could really take her character after this yeah I mean obviously the only other thing Moss was gonna have her do is get pregnant of course yeah which we saw but I I just think the side characters at this point were more interesting I think we all were like what the hell are you doing when we found out Silver Flames was gonna be all about Nesta but I 
I think that was the smartest move she could have possibly made. Of course, I wanted Lucian next, but I mean, Nesta was the next one. And Elaine has no personality. So, but she apparently is getting one in uh, whatever book is coming up next, A Court of Useless Gardening. In the beginning, let's take it back to the very beginning. We open with Farah in super stealth mode, infiltrating the Spring Court. How did you feel about this opening? Did you think Farah's mission made sense, giving the looming war that was creeping up real fast in a hurry (laughs) (laughs) creeping up real fast in a hurry um there's nothing like a creeping roar Um, i think we talked about this a little bit when we both started rereading this book but i was like how the fuck are we in spring court again like i did not remember that happening and this like super secret agent lady nonsense that Farah was doing I honestly just don't even understand why anybody bought it I know that males and men are dum-dums um, and not always the quickest on catching up with some of these maneuvers but it just felt like somebody should be flagging like this woman just brought down Amarantha she just blew up under the mountain she freed all of us she's Farah Cursebreaker why is she sitting here literally acting like Elaine, like she has no common sense and can't lift a finger to do anything. I think it was palatable knowing that it was just an act, but oh my God, it was so annoying being back there. In terms of her quote unquote mission, again, what are we doing? Why are we destabilizing the Spring Court Knowing that there is a war brewing, I get that Tamlin's loyalties were a bit hazy at the beginning of this because we have no idea what the hell this man was doing. But at the same time, you are literally setting yourself up for a failure. I don't feel like she stayed long enough. She like destabilized it so his military didn't trust him. But she didn't do enough to make them join her. You know, like if she had left and taken all his military with her to Valaris, that would have been one thing. But that's not what happened. So it was like a kind of a failure in my in my opinion. It bit them in the ass in the end. Well, Stop you're us. right. Because she went there to figure out the wall thing and fixing mm-hmm. the wall. And they blew up didn't the wall that. anyways. <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't <laughs> yep, figure Yep, sure didn't do that. <laughs> find Reese's family's wing. She didn't find out anything about the fucking wall. Nothing really happened that she should have been doing. No. And so to me, the whole thing was a giant waste of time. I agree. (laughs) I'm not really sure what she did besides like a a big fuck you to Tamlin, which okay, I guess. But at the end of the day, in my head, I keep thinking, can we look at the bigger picture here? Tamlin is a force in himself. Yes, he's a douchebag. Yes, all these terrible things but if he's playing on the right side you can use him i mean i don't really understand what's going on here and i'm a severe grudge holder like i'm i'm all for that but there's a lot of things that people were getting sidetracked on that i was like there is a literal battle going on here guys and we're we're not focusing to me everything farrah did in the spring court i mean the only thing she accomplished is pulling lucian to her side and that's really only because of elaine yeah he would have been there anyway because of her so if they had been smarter they would have literally liaised with him at the beginning of the book let him Mm -hmm. do this secret agent thing or at least get Tamlin to share his plan that he is double agenting and then work together in that way that would have made way more sense and accomplished way more literally solved probably 43% of the issues in this book (laughs) and obviously did absolutely nothing for what she was Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing we could have probably accomplished the same thing just seeing things through like Tamlin's eyes for a few chapters or Lucian's or something but okay so we have heard a lot about Elaine and Nesta obviously in Ako. Tar, 
<laughs> uh, we saw them severely mistreating Farah and literally just being completely delulu about their lives. Uh, we didn't really see much of them in the last book, uh, but obviously we get quite a bit of Elaine and Nesta in this. What were your thoughts slash opinions about these two? Have they changed since the last book? I would say Elaine is pretty status quo. Like we get nothing from her <laughs> ever. I'm still not 100% sure why everybody treats Elaine like she's some child. I can't get behind that. Like I get it. Like you said, she's a pretty, pretty princess. I get her whole character, but I just don't understand why we can't treat her like the age she is. I actually really liked Nesta in this because I could understand her more. And towards the end, she kind of softens up a little bit with Cassian. And then, like we talked about earlier, somehow between here and Silver Flames, it went left. And I'm not really sure. Elaine, we never get anything from Elaine. I think they should have killed Elaine off. That would have been totally cool with that. Going into this, like I said, I, I knew what she was going to be in this. I actually forgot that she basically deals the killing blow to Hypern, saves mm -hmm. everybody. I kind of forgot about that because of how just beige she is as a character. <laughs> um, I was like, oh shit. So, you know, she had like a little bit of a moment, and but most of it, she was just wallowing and yeah, being doted on and just acting like a Victorian, I don't know, ghost in the attic. Pretty much it. She's just so boring. Um, so I appreciated that little bit of spunk that we saw in that in those three seconds obviously before when Nesta, she did that not my daughter you bitch exactly, moment exactly exactly that was great mm -hmm. and yeah nesta i was just confused knowing again like i said earlier how who nesta was in silver flames who she is in this book she's just angry and we obviously have not seen what she went through in the cauldron yet we know that for everybody else it was seconds but for her it was like a millennia of torture and so she is just so angry she never wanted to be Faye, never wanted to be here and had no choice in the manner we all know the finger and you know while she was going in the cauldron so she was so angry she took a chunk out of the cauldron so i think that's guiding most of her scenario here and she has no real place to put all that anger because she knows the people around her are trying to help her she definitely needs an outlet and i think she should have started training much earlier that probably would have helped see but i can understand that like i would be pissed too if i was yeah Nesta. like i can totally understand it i just cannot understand elaine in the least like <laughs> no, i don't no. i really don't like when uh farah said the cauldron thought she was so lovely they gave her something oh my god i was like so was she just floating in there like she really just didn't even have any <laughs> issues they were like this one's beautiful. It's like a bubble bath. Yeah. yeah. She was really just hanging out like in a jacuzzi while Nesta mm -hmm. was getting like tortured. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I feel like she's also probably one of those people where if we met her in the real world, she would just be so nice and so kind mm -hmm. that we would probably understand why people want to take care of her. And I don't know. There was, <laughs> I wrote this so I could remember. During the middle of the war, shit's going everywhere, left, right, up, down. And Farah's like Nesta's losing it over Cassian and she looks over to Elaine and Amarin's holding Elaine because she's vomiting out of pure terror. And do you remember that scene in First Wives Club when Diane Keaton gets on that window washing thing and she just starts screaming and like <laughs> flailing? That's what I pictured as <laughs> like, I could 
not stop laughing because here's Elaine just like losing it and nothing's happening to her. It's just happening around her. Like Asriel's been tortured to death. Cass is crawling on the ground. Reese is about mm-hmm. to die. And here's Elaine just crying and vomiting mm-hmm. just because. I just, I yeah. can't with Elaine, man. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you shelter people. And you know what? Let's be real. It's not even her fault. She was so no. sheltered her whole life. That's how people treated her. So this was extremely overwhelming for her because she had never been exposed to anything hard. Even when they were literally starving, I don't think she even realized they were starving because of how they doted on her. Like she had no clue. So I'll give her that. It was not necessarily her fault, but oh my God, girl. No, that was so. Nesta and Pharaoh's fault. Mm-hmm. Like the reason Elaine is mm-hmm. Elaine is because of their fault and i have a feeling when we get her book she's gonna like it's gonna start out everybody thinks i'm just this helpless little girl i'm not bitch yeah you are <laughs> like i don't want to hear it but speaking of how did you feel about lucian and elaine <sighs> yeah it was kind of more of the same honestly not even kind of i feel bad for lucian because i feel like he deserves somebody who is a lot more dynamic and actually wants him. And I understand what we're doing here because there is a lot of writing on the wall about what's going to happen with this bond. They literally have paragraphs and paragraphs about mating bonds that snap into place but aren't right or they do get married and they shouldn't have. Like the writing is on the wall. I don't actually know, to be completely honest with you, that Elaine and Lucian are going to end up together. I think we're setting up for a mating bond that doesn't necessarily work out. Um, And I honestly think it's better for Lucian. I don't think they are compatible. I want more for him because I think he has such an interesting storyline ahead of him. I think she is literally just going to be the aunt in the corner who like never gets married and is like a seer and drinks tea and bakes cookies for everybody, which is great. I don't think we need her storyline built out the way they're trying to. So I I can take it or leave it in this novel. Obviously not much happens. I I feel like we're in 1850, you know, Victorian (laughs) England with the two of them like courting and, you know, the, the sidelong glances and uh, the tea, I don't know. The yeah, tea, when so much tea, tea and biscuits. Like, <laughs> yeah. And with your, with your um, chaperones, like, oh my mm. God, I just, I can't. There's a time and a place, but this is not Bridgerton. So I'm not into it right now. So what about you? Well, you know, Lucian is my baby daddy. So yeah. of course I want him for myself and not Elaine. Um, I think Lucian's whole life, nobody has wanted him. And that's like exactly heartbreaking for me, for him as a character. Like now his best friend, his ride or die Tamlin's like, fuck you, bro. Because he thought of the bigger picture. And started to figure things out. I don't know why we're not doing this. So I really think he deserves somebody who likes hanging out with him. I think uh, the Queen Vasa, the Firebird, is like a good Mm -hmm. option. I've been reading little tidbits in that. My worst fear is that Lucian is going to obviously ascend somehow into some kind of... I don't want Helion to die because I love him. But he's heir to the... Yeah, spoiler he could be alert. like his second in command. Yeah. yeah, spoiler alert. That's his daddy. Helene's his daddy. So that's his only heir. I'm worried that she's going to be like, Elaine's going to start like moving that way as he gets going. And I'm like, no, bitch, if you weren't there for the bad, you don't deserve the good. Like, Correct. that's my opinion. I think Lucian has a lot to work out with his brother because obviously Eris, we're going to get his little redemption arc and find out more about him. I don't know. I'm just over Elaine. And I agree. I think she should be the aunt in the corner. And that's okay. But Lucian also... On- on top of being the most hated in his own family, he lost the love of his life. I think he absolutely deserves a happy ending. And I'm not saying Elaine doesn't because we know she's going to end up with someone, but I just don't think they're right together. I just, I am not buying this train. Like Cassie and Nesta have had chemistry 
since day one, since the first mm-hmm. time he looked at her. I That was never a thing with Lucian and Elaine. No. And I also don't like the Elaine and Az thing. I really don't want that to happen either. I like that relationship in terms of just how they are with each other because I think Az is very caring. And mm-hmm. for him, he does need somebody, I think, that's sweet and caring that he can take care of and will in turn take care of him. I also agree. I don't think Elaine is for him. But I do appreciate that he is somebody she can trust because everybody needs that person. So I'm good with their friendship, but I, I don't think it needs to be more than that. Oh, just thinking about if Az and Elaine had sex scenes, I would vomit. Oh. <laughs> I would probably skip through it because no, it would just be so weird. I can't. I can't do no. that. No. no. She's like a breakable piece of glass. Yeah. She's not. No, no. She's not. I don't want it. His scarred hands on her perfect porcelain Ugh. body. Get the fuck out of here. No, nope, I don't uh, want it. Do it. And then she had her little moment. Not my daughter, you bitch. Good good for her. I was very happy that she uh, contributed something. But then vomit. we regressed completely yeah. in Silver mm-hmm. Flames. I just remember she was a giant asshole to Lucian yeah. for literally no reason. Yeah. He was just standing there with his chaperone bringing her team biscuits <laughs> like fucking doing nothing and that's what made me hate her because i was like he's doing nothing (laughs) like he literally couldn't be doing less he's working within your parameters and is doing everything to not scare you off and you are just a beige wall so yeah i would have busted in that house a bit like listen dude just get out of here we're all rooting for you lucian get out of here All right. Well, a tipping point in this book after we get through some of Farrah's espionage and uh, family drama is the meeting of the High Lords and Lady, which is definitely a tipping point in this book. Did you agree with Farrah's opinion that the inner circle should present themselves as they really were versus the villains that they usually present themselves as in regards to like the Court of Nightmares? Yeah. I mean, some of these people are their actual sort of friends. I mean, obviously Tarquin still and I get it. What is it? Callius and his mm-hmm. wife, Vivian. Like, Vivian and Moore are homegirls. Like, why wouldn't you want to just, I don't know, be yourselves with these people? Because now you need them. Y'all are about to get on a battlefield and you need to all trust each other. What about you? Yeah, I don't know if there could ever be trust between these people because there's been so much shit that's happened over centuries. But yes, I would think at least mutual respect and understanding that you're being as transparent as possible goes a long way. Uh, but Baron, there's no there's no help oh, for yeah. well, <laughs> Baron. <laughs> Baron's different. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot of shit that's gone down between these people. But I did appreciate some of the high lords like Callias, Callie, if you will. Um, <laughs> good old K-Daddy. <laughs> Good old Snow Daddy. Uh, Snow Daddy Callias. I like that. Let's go with that. So good old Snow Daddy Callias obviously was was very upset with Reese because of what happened under the mountain. And they had that moment where he was professional during the meeting, but they dealt with their shit accordingly. But he didn't derail the whole meeting like Tamlin and Baron. So I do think it went a long way that they showed themselves as they really were versus these fake these fake personas that they had put on for so long and i think it meant a lot that uh reese was actually showing his wings and uh and really showing the family between them too i think made them vulnerable as well so it was a big statement for them you think about it you know baron's like from the other generation and mm-hmm. you think about it like how all reese's dad was an asshole tamlin's oh, yeah. dad was an asshole i'm sure uh snow daddy's dad was an asshole mm-hmm. helian i think was around but you know, he's just Jeff Goldblum. He presents he's as an asshole, though. Yeah, like, he does, he but then yeah. behind the scenes. 
<laughs> so in my head, I'm thinking, God, you guys must have been awful, like a court mm-hmm. of awfulness, all yeah, of you. Truly. Terrible, terrible, terrible people. Baron just, he's a boomer. He needs to go, man. He just yeah. needs to retire out. Your time is over, Baron. Mm-hmm. I mean, he held it down when he needed to, but his time and his, the way the way that he does politics is is over. I did really like Vivian, though, Snow Daddy's wife. Oh, yeah. I love how she was like, wait. Hi, lady is an option. Like she has smacked him. I'm like, I need hi, lady for Viv. Uh, I can't remember if that happens. I don't think it did in Silver mm. Flames, but she needs that too. So. I did like her and Moore's moment when mm-hmm. they start like squealing. squealing. And, <laughs> and K Daddy's like eye roll. He's like, God mm-hmm. damn it. <laughs> I love it though. And then they're talking about like 500 years worth of gossip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually really liked him too. He mm-hmm. was very calming. Very calming. <laughs> Very efficient, was already coming up with solutions. Again, the Iron Flame crew could learn a lot from some of these High Lords, so <laughs> pull it the fuck together. I already had the antidote. I mm-hmm. already had this. And Efficiency. Yeah. Initiative. And, and when Baron was like, I'm not listening to her talk, and she's like, bitch, I'm the one who made it. <laughs> Ugh, Baron. Fucking Baron. While this is going on, this is probably one of my favorite parts of the book is when we're all just sitting in a room together. We learned, which is also how nobody figured this out before, that Lucian is actually Helian's biological son. How nobody else realized that, I'm not really sure. Maybe they never saw them in a room together. I don't really know. What did? What were your thoughts when you first read this? Were you like, oh, gasp? Yeah, when I first read this, it, it definitely was gasp because every moment we've ever seen the, the Lady of the Autumn Court, other than her minimal help to Farah in the first book, I don't really see much of a personality. I didn't really get, you know, this fiery, fun side to her that is probably in existence. I never really thought she would swing that way. Yeah, I was definitely surprised how nobody else figured it out. I think they just truly were always in their own bullshit and just too busy fighting to ever really sit and think through some of this. Because Helian doesn't even really know no at at this point. Nobody is aware. We didn't even have full confirmation in this book. Yeah, it was wild. I would have liked to see some some novella spinoff on what was happening at this time? Because there was a lot going on with these courts back in the day. Oh my God. The courts of old of mm-hmm. yore. I thought to myself, thank God that wasn't me. I would have been like, do you know Lucian is your son? <laughs> Did anybody know that here? <laughs> just me? Um, I would have blurted that out right quick. I just think it's a really nice uh, beginning storyline for Lucian because mm-hmm. that man needs a happy ending more than I think anybody else in this fucking book does. I so. agree. One hundred percent. As long as it's not with Elaine, I'm good. So Elaine, <laughs> I hope it's with Bassa. I mean, he's that's Healing's power. He's like a spellbreaker, curse breaker kind of mm-hmm. thing. And obviously, Lucian has that in his blood. So I'm really hoping that comes to terms with Bassa, and maybe that starts their little lover thing. I, I don't know, but that's what I'm going for. And Lucian does no wrong in my head. Oh, he does. He does do wrong, but he hasn't done wrong enough to not deserve happiness. So yes. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of doing wrong and wrongdoers. <laughs> <laughs> Tam Tam has quite the arc during the course of this novel, not to mention several very epic entrances. What were your thoughts on his arc? All right. Well, I am not Team Tam Tam, but I am not anti Tam Tam. So <laughs> I think Tam Tam deserves a little bit more faith than we all give him. Not the Tam Tam Tampon? No, uh, I hate that. I, when people say that, I'm like, if y'all can forgive Nesta, you can forgive Tam Tam. So I don't know. I like Tam. I like like 
Hamlin. I think he's an ass. I think he's heartbroken and I think he does not deal with his emotion wells. I think he is emotionally stunted. I think he is a millennial man through and through, to be honest <laughs> with you. Maybe that's why I'm so like, well, he's not that bad because I've dated multiple of him. I think nobody's giving him enough credit. And maybe this is because I'm down the rabbit hole. When she went looking for the wings, the wings were not there of Reese's sister and his mom. Since Tamlin is a shapeshifter and can actually change the shape of other people, people are saying that he took two other dead fae, changed their shape into Reese's mom and sister and sent them away and then pushed them into, into, spoiler alert, if you guys haven't read this, into Crescent City. Anyways, if you've read it, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know which theory I'm going with. I think he didn't really kill Reese's mom and his sister. Like, I think he saved them somehow. And I think that will start his redemption arc. I think he was a much better double spy than fucking Farah. Like, he was doing a lot more things. He saved her when she saved that one chick. He was helping out Jurian. I think nobody had faith in him because, like, he really was doing the best for his court and his world. What about you? I can't say that I like him because I think he's he needs a, a lot of help in regards to his relationship with women and the things that he thinks is okay to say to women. Uh, I think he needs to do a lot of work there. So cannot get behind a lot of his uh, slut shaming and nonsense. But I do think he was a way more efficient super spy than Farah was. <laughs> and he actually got shit done and got very crucial information that helped to change the course of the final battle. So Without him, they would not have won. Specifically, just the Fabian alone that he was able to locate, him and Jurian, mm -hmm. probably saved quite a few lives there. I think what he did was for the better of Prithian. His interpersonal skills need a lot of help. Oh, yeah. So 100%. He's an asshole. I'm not averse to him having a redemption, but I do think a lot of apologies need to happen and a lot of work needs to be done for him. Him and Baron, just the way they are with women is disgusting. Saying, uh, so when he was in that meeting i was like damn man you're really making yeah. this hard for me like you're being a straight dick yeah Ugh. not a fan but yeah. obviously he is the reason why Farah and as and elaine honestly are still alive so he definitely saved their asses when they broke elaine out of the the camp he did more in the very small bits that we saw him than elaine did this entire book or this you know? entire series yeah or this entire <laughs> series i will say that even though he and baron are both villainized in this world, they both came to the table and did what they needed to do when it counted. So I'll give them that. Yeah, Tam, Tam made it hard. I was like, damn, Tamlin, you acting out. What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, he does love a he, good entrance, though. I'll give him that. He definitely knows how to make a dramatic when entrance. He, when he popped in and he had a wolf smile, I was like, damn, I can't even be mad. I can't even be mad. I was like, mm, slay, slay king. <laughs> Yeah, that's just like, can you just kind of go towards the other camp and just like full on be like bye or something and then just be extra fabulous? Because I feel like he has it in him. He's I'd be down if he was like actually bye and Lucian kind of broke his heart when he went over mm -hmm. to Farah. I'd be okay with that storyline. Mm -hmm. I think Tamlin is completely stunted emotionally and does not know how to use words. Just think everybody in there needs therapy, but I think he needs the most therapy. So, I mean, Moss is really good at writing her villains to be not so much villains or her characters kind of villains. And speaking of villains, we get a little bit more that come out to play the Weaver, Bone Carver, and are introduced to 
Bryaxis. How did you feel about these so-called quote-unquote monsters and their arc throughout the book? Moss definitely likes to operate within the gray, for sure, when it comes to who her villains are. And she's very good about showing good people doing bad things for reasons they think are correct. Quote-unquote villains doing great things for people for their own whatever reason. So she's very good at leaving us confused on how we feel about these characters. She did the same with all three of these quote-unquote villains. Uh, obviously, the Weaver <laughs> is epic in, in all of the Akos. She doesn't need a redemption. The Weaver is what she is, but we see her obviously fighting with, I won't say the good side, but against Highburn and helping Amarin and uh, Farah. So we, we do see kind of uh, her evilness being used in a good way. Uh, Bone Carver was epic. I love that he went out as an Illyrian. That was so fun uh, for mm-hmm. him, I'm sure. And I'm just going to call him Bree. Uh, Bree or they? <laughs> Bree? Bree, I absolutely love. I just f- picture this giant black gooey blob, like Flubber-esque, but then inside is just like horrible, nightmarish, whatever they actually are. I enjoyed them and I enjoyed that all they wanted was some company in the library. Like it just makes it just, I just want to give him a hug. Like I just feel so bad for him. All he wanted was a skylight so he could see the stars and some company. And I thought that was adorable. I actually liked that we got to see more out of all three of these quote unquote villains in this book. I like how they were interwoven into the final battle. I thought this whole quest for the Ouroboros or whatever it was for Pharaoh was kind of stupid um, for the bone carver. I was like, okay. I get that it was a test that he needed to make sure she was worthy of him, but I was like, oh my god. And like, this is, okay. I like that the bone carver like took the mirror and like threw it. He's like, oh, I didn't really want it. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, this was nonsense, sir. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, Brie was adorable. I just kept picturing, I was like, if I was in that library, I'd be hanging out with him like mm-hmm. all the time. I'd be like, mm-hmm. hey man, what's going on? I will say I did have an issue with the way the weaver went out. I think it was lame. First of all, why King of Highburn is over here just snapping necks left and right? I'm I'm not really sure. Like he didn't do anything for being as powerful as he is. And once the weaver sucked like literally everybody's souls out and then became super beautiful and he was like, oh, you're beautiful. She's like, bow to me. And then he got close enough to snap her neck and then he, she got fed to the hounds. What? What? What is that? I was disappointed. Weaver should have gone out in like a fucking blaze of glory. Bone Carver, I think, went out because he wanted to go out and I appreciated that because I don't think he really wanted to be there. He yeah. was definitely done with his story. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. But the Weaver, I was like really pissed. I wanted something, a full blaze of gory. You could have killed her off in so many other ways. I did not like it. That was a big rage for me. Yeah, I do agree. I'm like, you're the one who pulled her out of her little cabin in the woods. Mm-hmm. She was living her life. She was just fine. And and then, yeah, this is what happened. I, I do agree. I don't like the way she went out. But I do like that she was helping them. She went down. Oh, yeah. So. She, she's a badass chick. In my head, she's still alive with the Somewhere. bone carver. Yeah, maybe she crawled out of the cauldron after and nobody realized that would be awesome Uh, but speaking of the weaver can we talk about uh another showdown that happened earlier in the book uh between the serial (laughs) the weaver and eanth and i just need to say we need to pour one out for our main man the serial because he's better i'm still over any like she's such a hoe um i thought she got what she deserved i wish we could have gotten a little bit more um gory details on how the weaver whooped her (laughs) ass like i would have been okay with that i just like that the weaver was wearing her like bloody headdress like into battles like there you go (laughs) 
There you go. Love that. Uh, I love her, man. The Weaver is my jam. Straga is mm-hmm. my is my chick. I hope she like pops up in Crescent City three. <laughs> and Moss is like, there's this beautiful dark haired pale woman who <laughs> I just can't I can't stop staring at <laughs> with bloody teeth. I don't know what it is. Well, final showdown. I was just really sad that the cereal went out that way, oh, but no. it was such a noble death. I was sad that he was wearing that raggedy cape from Ants too. Right. But- I'm glad they, that Helian gave his. So at least when he went out, he went out in a blaze of glory and a fabulous cape. That was that made me mad. But Ian absolutely got what she deserved. That little maneuver that Farrah pulled with her earlier was not vengeance enough. So yeah, I we don't have the exact details, but we know it was it was pretty rough. So I'm Which, totally fine with it. Okay, Kat. Well, we know you love a good sibling story, and there were quite a few sibling stories. Uh, some interesting sibling stories we didn't even know were a thing, but. Uh, between the Archeron sisters and the Weaver and Bone Carver, we obviously didn't get to see their brother yet, but which sibling story did you enjoy more? I'm going to go with the Weaver and the Bone Carver. (laughs) (laughs) I am never going to get behind the Archeron sisters. Like, they just suck as sisters, in my opinion. I don't really understand their dynamic in the least. Up until maybe the end of this book, they had no respect for each other. I don't think Elaine knows what respect is. I don't think she really cares, to be honest with you. She's just, like, in la-la land. They love each other because they're sisters, but they definitely don't like each other. Um, But I think the Bone Carver and I think the Weaver considering they're twins i think they have a connection obviously when carver was about to go out on the field you heard the shriek and that's the weaver knowing it was coming for a death blow for her brother i was okay that they both died because they obviously came into the world together they obviously should leave together i don't know to me just in those little bits that moss wrote about them i think they had a stronger bond i think we saw a lot more uh between the three archeron sisters towards the end like you said i think there was a bond that was growing especially after they recaptured elaine from hypern but that all literally went nowhere and completely regressed in Silver Flames. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping the Weaver and the Bone Carver like pop up in another Crescent City just walking down the street together. I hope the Bone Carver is actually himself. Like, I hope he looks like the Weaver, but obviously male version. That would be super cute. But I want to talk about the big bad, King of Highburn, a.k.a. Mr. Snap Your Neck, a.k.a. Lord Farquaad, because that's all <laughs> I kept picturing <laughs> during this book. Did you think he was actually as powerful as Moss made him out to be or did you get like a womp 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 during his moments i didn't really feel it whenever we had actual interactions with him most of the books he has not done anything or even been physically present even when we saw the battle at adriata he wasn't actually even there so we haven't really even seen him since uh he put everybody in the cauldron until the very final battle at the end of this book he didn't really do much i know it was a lot of hype around him and obviously all this lore and i think from a strategic battle perspective they definitely were full of surprises and they caught people unaware which was great but i don't think he really did that much and or at least we didn't really see that much so i was just kind of like okay i don't think he was the biggest and baddest thing that we've seen i completely agree he just snapped two people's necks and that was about it that was like pretty much it and then he worked the cauldron like he set the cauldron off so he was no better than a somebody lighting a cannon at this point yeah i don't i don't really see what the big deal was him I really kind of wanted like a little bit more backstory and how he became so quote unquote powerful. I feel like sometimes Moss builds up a lot of powerful characters. And then when it comes down for a showdown, she doesn't really deliver. That's kind of how I feel sometimes. And that's how I felt with him. Okay, well, that's a part of this entire book. Uh, 
uh, we see quite a few large-scale battles with all of the heroes of lore coming out to play. Who is your favorite character to see in action, and what was your favorite battle moment? I liked seeing Cassian come out and whoop-ass. I honestly pictured Brad Pitt as Achilles in Troy (laughs) when he just drove through Mm -hmm. all those uh, soldiers and like left and right killing people. I thought she wrote that perfectly. It was beautifully done. Um, And I liked Amarin when Amarin came out of fire and brimstone. And I also really enjoyed the moment where Farrah's holding on to the cauldron. You come back and Amarin's like slapping the shit out of her going, you stupid girl, stupid girl, pay attention, pay attention. I was cracking up because I just pictured this tiny little lady just beating the shit out of this girl. Those were probably my two favorite parts uh, concerning the battle. There were a couple I was a little bit more bummed about, like more being the Morgan I was hoping for a little bit more on that. What about you? Yeah, I think it's hard when you have that many characters and it's a battle to really be able to see everyone. But I do agree. We didn't get we we needed more and more. So mm-hmm. I actually really liked the scene earlier at the Battle of Eight, whatever, I mean, at the Summer Court, fine. where Morgan and Farah were just super stealthy and just kind of like taking people out left and right. The two of them that was a pretty cool visual, and I really liked that scene. And it was the first time they were literally just being warriors and. It it was one of the first times Farah was not relying on Reese or Cassian or Azrael. They were on their own. And so I just really liked seeing the two of them really stand their own ground and be just as vicious and deadly as the, the boys. When it came to the actual battle, I think it was the, the end game moment. Um, when you feel all hope is lost and then you see all the, the circles being opened and everybody's pouring through. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! But yeah, I agree with Cassian too. It was cool just seeing everybody mm-hmm. react to him because they were talking talking about how young he was during the previous one and just seeing everybody's level of respect just be like oh shit <laughs> that was pretty nice and that felt very vindicating for him and Azrael too because I don't even think Azrael was around when they had the last battle so I feel like a lot of people didn't even know who he was they're like who's this guy what's happening over here yeah she she definitely knows how to write a battle scene I, mm-hmm. I'll say that she's very good at that it was just a fun read just to see all of these mythical beings at least mythical in this in the Akos come to life like that was I think my favorite part yeah, I so. liked when everybody shapeshifted, like when Reese mm-hmm. and Kelian and Tam Tam were like shapeshifted. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking, Baron, you're so useless. You can't yeah. do anything. <laughs> Turn into living flame or something. My God. But something. Something, sir. Well, one of the other legends we got to meet, uh, we finally interacted with uh, Jurian. Were you surprised at another double agent we have here? And the fact that he would actually side with humans being a human. My question though is like, is he a human though? Because I know he was human, but then he like sat, his little eyeball sat on Amarantha (laughs) for like, what, uh, like uh, quite a few hundred years. So I don't really understand how he would still be quote unquote human. But I do understand why he would, of course, still side with humans. It's the same way Nesta still, that's still her top priority too. She still identifies in that way, or at least that's her main concern because nobody else is fighting for them. Yeah, I don't think it was that shocking that he would be working against the people he was violently opposed to previously. I don't think that's insane, especially the people responsible for him literally being an eyeball held on somebody's neck for like (laughs) centuries. I thought they villainized him way too much. Just a scorned dude. And I mean, he's over it. It's been it's been quite a few hundred years. You know, I can hold a grudge, but even that's taken it to a whole nother level. I'm actually really interested to see where his storyline ends up. Same. Once we get back to the final battle, 
battle, there is a tipping point, like I said earlier, where all feels lost. And we do have our full endgame moment. Everybody's pouring through. We see Miriam and Draken and Seraphim and the Prince of Merchants are all here to save the day. What were your thoughts when you were reading this? I can't lie that I didn't get choked up when the Prince of Merchants came with the Elaine, the Farah, and the Nesta, and he was driving uh, the Nesta. I got really a little teary-eyed. You know, I definitely did too. Every time. I didn't think I w- it would get me, but him on the Nesta, because he knows what that means to her. Oh, that killed me. Killed me. I know. It gets me really choked up. Mm-hmm. And he's always so off page. Like, we know nothing about yeah. parents, really. Yeah. And then he just comes in and he has his little moment and then gets his next nap. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Nesta was in shock. Like, she was in yes. full-blown shock from, like, yeah. start to finish on that. I was really happy. We finally saw Miriam and Dracon. I thought the fact that they came in at the perfect moment and they were like, sorry, we did that spell and it worked too well and you can't really <laughs> yeah. find us. And I was like, why is nobody more mad about that? I would have been pissed. What's you haven't me? seen me in 350 years. Well, bitch, I can't because you've mm-hmm. made this completely invisible. Oh, my bad. Yes. Yes to all the things. Yes. <laughs> Thank God they saved the day. Yes. Thank God they were there. I love that we had that moment. Uh, we definitely needed it because I was like, oh, this is not going in a great direction. We're about to be back under the mountain. Like, this is not good. So <laughs> it was nice not only to see Miriam, Draken, Prince of Merchants, but obviously also Tamlin and Baron come through as well. So it was nice just to see the gang all back together, that final push towards actually winning. And then, you know, here comes Elaine actually doing something functional and she kills the king. But they didn't know about that he was dead for a good while there. So they just kept on fighting anyway. I did. I did like that. They, uh, Eris said that Tamlin dragged his dad kicking and screaming into mm-hmm. this fucking war. He was like, Tamlin grabbed him by the collar and made sure his ass was coming. And I was like, again, Tam, yeah. you're really, I, I'm loving this for you. I'm loving yeah. it. I like that Eris was like, this uh, This brought me great joy. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Like, Eris is a piece of shit. He also is a terrible, yeah. Yeah. terrible mouth on him. And Lord knows his upbringing was awful. But I'm really excited for another redemption arc. They <laughs> need like, some group therapy sessions. Like, like there's no hope for Baron. Eris and Tamlin and Lucian. And honestly, Reese uh, could all use some uh, functionality and some yeah. therapy on how to interact with women. Because uh, Reese in the next book gets very disgusting as well but anyway yeah i wish the cereals back i feel like he would be a good therapist yeah you know i would have to agree right after um elaine does kill and then nesta saws his head off which is totally badass they're flashing through and pharaoh's flying through the cauldron for some reason and then she sees jurian fighting with draken and miriam and all I kept thinking was, is this the best time for that? No. Like, what are we doing? No. There's so much interpersonal bullshit happening during this battle. I'm like, literally, we have so many more things to worry about, guys, in a fucking battle for our lives. This is not the time. Let's fight this out when we survive this. No, and, that was not the time. And more had to stop what she was doing to go break it up. So I'm thinking you mm-hmm. have another heavy hitter mm-hmm. stopping killing mm-hmm. and maybe saving lives. And now she's got to go break up y'all come on correct guys it was it was absolutely ridiculous a time and a place and this is neither of those but again there's a lot going on in this entire novel there's a lot going on in this battle and Amarin, as per usual a lot going on with her she wasn't as involved in every single scene and movement that was happening in this book because she was trying to do important things figure out how to break the cauldron and break the wall we also see her true self what do you actually think she is honestly 
I think one of our Old Testament angels, if not Lucifer, is what I think she is. But the Ooh. fire and brimstone, the fact that the way she described her God giving her a rip in the world sounds a lot like how Lucifer fell from heaven. That's where I was going with it, but that's me. He was pushed out though. So, but he was pushed out for wanting more. So maybe, I don't know if I would go that route. I definitely think she's an old God. I don't know if she's one of ours. I'm sure we're going to find out because they're definitely going to tie her or her old world in, in some capacity. So something is coming out of that. We know that for sure. So I'm sure we will find out exactly what fiery thing she is. I'm really excited for it. Like we said, everybody's fighting, even clearing up 500-year-old grudges at the worst possible time. And no one dies. Not one of the inner circle dies, Mm -hmm. truly, but in this whole battle. How did you feel about that? It didn't feel authentic to me in any capacity. Not that we want characters to die, because that's always one of the roughest parts of, you know, being so dedicated to these worlds and these fandoms and things is when you lose a character that you really love. Obviously, Amarin and Reese both did die, but then were brought back. Like Reese was brought back by all the high lords, and then you know he pulled Amron back with him, which I appreciate because if Reese is coming back and we don't have Amron, I would have been really mad because I like her more than him. I, I think it was a cop out. I honestly think they should have let Reese die. I think Amron could have come back. There could have gone back with Tamlin, and maybe we would have fixed some things. Maybe not gone back with Tamlin right now because again he needs a lot of therapy. But maybe we could have had a full circle moment. I don't know, but I thought it was a little bit too a uh, cookie cutter. And I you can definitely see that uh, Reese is Moss's favorite character. Ever. Mm -hmm. uh, of all time but i think somebody should have gone out even if god forbid it was tamlin and he had a little bit more of an arc through it i don't you know it's like we love all of them but even baron you could take a baron out we wouldn't have been upset about that no no to be honest killed elaine i was totally fine with elaine not making it i don't know i think something should have happened i also want to know what happened to that fucking commander that was beating helian's ass like what happened to that dude where'd he go Who knows? I'm sure we'll find out. (laughs) Another spoiler, but you literally took out the 13, okay? Which is one of the most epic and beautiful and horrific things I've ever read in my entire life. And that was done so beautifully and it was perfect for the story. Why couldn't we have done that here? Not that I want to be taken through something like that, but I don't think this did it justice. But I don't think even if she killed off Reese or any of the characters in this series, I would be nearly as affected as I was with the 13. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Um, While we're at the end of the book, finally, a lot has happened, like we've said. I think that's what we said through most of this is a lot has happened here. (laughs) How do we feel? But how do we feel about the ending, the way it ended, and what is to come? I'm happy, like I said in the beginning, I'm happy that we're done with Pharaoh's story. I don't know where else we could go with this. I am curious to see what we're doing with Amarin, now that she doesn't have all of her powers. I honestly can't remember if she gets him back in Silver Flame or not. Although I did want somebody to die. Sorry, guys, I did. I was happy with the ending. I didn't think it needed anything else. I did like the fact that at least when they were having these conversations about where do we go from here, the humans were were involved. I know they allude to the fact that humans were involved in the previous uh, discussion and treaty about 
the wall and all that. But I really don't think that was the case. Like, I really don't think they had a seat at the table. I like that we're at least starting the conversations about where we go and how we operate. Obviously, we know there's something else coming because there's these queens that we have to deal with. Uh, We're still missing a sibling from the Bone Carver and uh, Weaver story. So we know that's coming into place. Um, I think it ended well. I did enjoy this book. I liked that we finally saw some kind of battle and it's not just hyper and hyper and hyper and like into the next book too. They had to resolve this so that the next book could move into a different main character. Well, what what character surprised you the most in this book? Well, I think uh, their father definitely came out of left field. It's like, where the hell did you come from, sir? And then I think when I first read it, it was Amrin. There's that moment with the cauldron where you're like, what the fuck? And you, for a second, like a hot second there, you think Amrin might be double-crossing Farah and crew. So I remember reading it the first time being like, Amrin, what the fuck are you doing? Obviously, we know that's not the case. But I do remember having a (laughs) moment when I first read it. (laughs) Mine was Eris. Mm. I Mm side-eyed in this one. I was like, oh, there's more to this than we are realizing. He's not just a complete and total piece of shit. So that one was surprising. And I will say Nessa surprised me. She was softening up by the end of the book. So I was like, she's not as terrible. I didn't. None of us really liked her that much until Silver Flames. Was a badass in her own right. When she sawed off Highburn's head, I was like, well, looking at him I was like that's that's my kind of friend I was like yes bitch (laughs) and then she like held over Cassian to save him and I was like all right I'm loving this I'm loving this moment and then somehow we went to Silver Flames and I was like what happened here we regressed yeah I have no idea how we we got back to square one like we did in Silver Flames we'll get into it maybe we'll have our questions answered all right well looking at the entire Moss universe between Farah, Bryce and Aelin who is your favorite well I want to say Manon, but that's not the three. I'm going to say Aelin is number one, um, Bryce, and then Farah. I like that Aelin, at the end of her story, lost her powers. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, Aelin's definitely my favorite out of these three. Honestly, I've only read one of Crescent City, and those books are so painful to read, so I, I can't say Bryce. Farah could have been way more epic, in my opinion. I feel like her character arc was just like, it's fine. Um, Like you said, she inherited all the powers, can do all the things, and like that's mm-hmm. just it. Like That's all she's going to be. Whereas we look at somebody like Nesta, and while I don't remember a lot of Silver Flames, I remember the Valkyries and just the training and the fighting and some of the final things that happened and her arc is incredible she's like iron teeth level of incredible by the end of that book so i didn't have that with pharaoh so i don't really remember bryce but i know pharaoh is still probably at the bottom of my list i think that's my thing is like (laughs) bryce it's not that i really like her it's just i don't like yeah she's fine she's she's fine as a character yeah pharaoh doesn't have a personality she did like a cool thing in book one and she was like fighting for her man and all this stuff and then she just got really kind of boring and basic yeah just kind of plain so sorry vera sorry not sorry yeah i don't i don't feel bad about it all right well all in all out of uh this part of the akos this is definitely one of our faves um we are still very happy that this was it for Farah, although we do unfortunately have to deal with her in the next book, and she is awful. We'll see, and then we'll see if there's anything new in uh, Crescent City 3 that comes out in January, which is at the time of recording a month from now, a little over a month from now. I'm waiting for Ashley to finish Crescent City 2, so we can discuss that a little bit more, because I know you guys, if you've read it, y'all know what happens. It's going to be a long trek. 
Well, that said, we want to hear from you. How does Akawar stack up in your Moss Universe ratings or with the other Akos? Email us at hello at pagerageprodcast.com or DM us on Insta at pagerage underscore podcast. And of course, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast network. <laughs>